Thanks for joining us on Stand Strong in the Word podcast with author, speaker, and worldview expert, Jason Jimenez. Stand Strong in the Word podcast is devoted to walking listeners through the Bible in a fresh and powerful way. We pray your spirit is nourished as you gain new perspectives and a renewed appreciation for God's Word. Now, here's Jason Jimenez. What's up, my friends? Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode here on Stand Strong in the Word podcast. Today is podcast 123, and we continue our study here in the book of Acts, and we're going to be in Acts chapter 10 today. So if you missed any previous episodes, you can always check out standstrongministries.org, whatever your platform is. Thank you guys for getting your feed in there, whether you're Android or you're Apple. And if you are listening but you've never watched, we are just kind of doing some pilots right now, so we're not doing a lot of marketing, just kind of maybe sharing a little bit on social media and then just sharing it, of course, here on the podcast. But we are now recording these episodes. So if you like YouTube, if you watch a lot of videos and you like to study God's Word and learn about apologetics and theology, we're going to be coming out with new courses in the next few months. Now, just to give you a heads up as well, uh, not only can you watch this podcast now on YouTube, but you can also be anticipating that we are going to be coming out with some two new projects. Uh, one of them is called Challenging Conversations with Baker Books, and that's going to be coming out October. And then the other one is going to be uh, Parenting Gen Z, and that's going to be coming out in the spring of 2021. So we're going to be having additional videos and supplemental readings and study guides things like that, they're going to be available for you. So I will be giving you guys a heads up when that time comes. And here's ex some exciting news that we're going to be doing is like a book webinar. I mean, given the fact with COVID and all this stuff that's been taking place as I'm recording this, one of the things that we want to do to make uh, myself, uh, you know, available and engaging to continue to disciple uh, men and women just like you in the church is we're going to be doing these book webinars when the book comes out, even as a soft launch. So before the book officially comes out, we're going to be um, selecting a lot of people who want to join in on some of these groups, and we'll have some great discussions. Um, and so I look forward to that. So I'll be giving you guys a heads up when that happens. So be praying for those things, because as we do this podcast and as we uh, continue to share the gospel and reinforce biblical truth in the culture I don't need to tell you that we are dealing with some trying times. And so it's pretty cool, if you think about it, as we look at the book of Acts, we see what the apostles dealt with in the early church. Listen, there's persecution. There are people who oppose the gospel. There are people who make a living to try to dispel the truth of Jesus Christ. And we will not let them, my friends, silence us. We are now living in a time we refer to as the cancel culture. And if you think that there's one particular thing that people want to cancel the most, they want to silence or shut down a particular movement, it clearly is Christianity, not just conservatism, not pro-lifers, though that's true. And again, a lot of those represent uh, biblical beliefs, biblical values that we see through the pages of God's word. And so as you and I study, I pray, number one, that you personally will be developed and that you will fall more in love with God. That's it. I mean, I've been telling people recently, and this is why I spend this time with you guys just in God's word, nothing else, the politics, not getting to other things, but just focusing in on God's word verse by verse, because that's where the power is. And that's what we need more of. We see whether you have been a Christian for 20 years or a Christian for two years, the sad reality is, and this is speaking primarily to Christians in America and in Europe, we do not read the Bible every day. And even Christians who do read the Bible every day, they do it in little snippets, like five-minute segments, five-minute devotions. My friends, that is not enough. So thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your support, for your prayers, because we want you to know God's word. And, and this time that I have with you, it continues to sharpen my uh, understanding and also convicts me to want to live for God. And that's why we do what we do so that you, your family, people that maybe use these resources to teach, that all of us, my friends, will stand strong in the word of God. And what that means is not that you would just be a a freedom fighter, not that you just be 
a bold evangelist, but that you would be someone who finds comfort and strength through the teachings of God's Word. So having said all that, I just appreciate you guys tuning in as we continue this study in the book of Acts. I pray it's been a blessing to you as we kind of look at the history, as we look at the context, what Luke was telling us in the early church, and getting a better understanding of the life of these individuals. And so now, as we transition into Acts chapter 10, where we left off, remember, after Peter performs back-to-back miracles, if you go back to chapter 9, the healing of Aeneas in 32 through 35, and then raising Tabitha from the dead in verses 36 through 41. And then we're told at the very end of chapter 9, verses 42 and 43, Peter, he goes and he resides in Joppa. And he goes to Joppa, and there he's with Simon the Tanner. And, you know, remember, Peter had been preaching the gospel to the Jews, and he had been going all over the region, we're told in Acts chapter 2, and he had prayed for... uh, Many of the Samaritan people, we're seeing the expansion of the Samaritan people come to Christ through the hands of Philip in chapter 8, verses 14 through 25. But now what's so amazing is we see Peter, he brings the gift of salvation to the Gentiles in Acts chapter 10. So here now in chapter 10, Luke will devote a large section to the conversion of the man named Cornelius in Caesarea. And this is going to mark the expansion of the gospel. Remember, we made a transition in Acts chapter 8, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the other parts of the earth in Acts 1 verse 8. And this is one of those major expansions of the gospel to the Gentiles through the hands of Peter. Now, the work of God in Cornelius' life will have major development, even to the point where the council in Jerusalem, led by the half-brother of Jesus, James, they will be discussing this because so many Gentile people will be coming to Christ in the forthcoming ministry that Paul will have with Barnabas and later with Silas and many other companions. They, they're trying to figure out from Acts chapter 13 all the way to chapter 28, the end of the book of Acts, how do we encounter and minister to these Gentiles? Because you have Judaism in one sense. We know Christ came and fulfilled the law. We know we're not saved by the law. But there was a lot of social structures and a lot of customs, and we'll see that as we study the book of Acts, that, the, that men particularly like Paul and Peter still lived according to. They know they weren't saved by them. But at the same time, they didn't have this rich theology that we have now benefited all these years later in the church and understanding the Trinity, for example, understanding soteriology, understanding homartiology, and those type of things. So this is really a pivotal point in time. So let's dive right into Acts chapter 10. We're going to see the first thing here in verses 1 through 8 where Cornelius receives a vision about Peter. So listen to these words. Now at Caesarea, this is also known as uh, Maritima, there was a man named Cornelius. Now remember, he was a satyrian, we're told. He was a non-commissioned military officer of what was known as the Italian cohort. So he ran um, like three to 600 men. And he was a devout man who feared God with all of his household. God gave alms generously to the people, and he he prayed continually to God. And about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. So here we see, my friends, that Cornelius, he's he's a powerful Roman officer, and he was in charge of an elite force of hundreds of men, up to 600 men uh, in some estimations. Now. This was a a Caesarean garrison that protected the governor, so they had huge responsibility in that region. But not only that, but we're told specifically by Luke that Cornelius, he feared God. Now, this is important. This is an important phrase. and We think today, like, nothing really significant, you know, but to, to, uh, at this time, I should say, it was because a Gentile who abandoned Mithras, remember, he's a Italian leader who was protecting the Roman uh, governor in that area with these elite men, 
He's a Gentile, obviously, right? And they these people worshipped different deities. They were polytheistic. And so for a Gentile to abandon Mithras and other Roman deities and had a religious attachment to Judaism, that was not very common. So when it says that Cornelius was a God-fearing man, he was a man who was um, able to, you know, who had converted to Judaism to some extent. Now, remember, uh, an official proselyte was someone who was circumcised, but Gentiles were not circumcised. They were, they could be God-fearing. That's why they referred to them as God-fearing, you know, Gentiles, meaning that they were converted, but they were not official. Uh, but they were sympathizers, so they they believed in the religion itself and protected the Jewish people. Now, notice he gave alms. So we're told that Cornelius was also a generous man who sought to care for the needs of the people. Now, if you notice something and you've been following along in the book of Acts, notice how many times when God or Jesus specifically would speak to someone. So when he spoke to Saul of Tarsus in Acts chapter 9 the, the, to the road to Damascus, he says, who are you, Lord? So we see he was not a converted person. Saul was confused. But then Ananias receives a vision, and he says he responds like Samuel did. Remember, yes, Lord, like what, what would you have me to do? Notice Cornelius, who is a God-fearing Gentile, and he receives this vision, and he's responding to the Lord in a way that it, it speaks to his relationship that he wants to be obedient to God. The New King James Version Study Bible says, as a centurion, Cornelius would have been part of a cohort, a regiment of the Roman military. A legion numbered about 6,000 men. Each legion had 10 cohorts of about 600 men each. The cohorts were divided into centuries of 100 men, and each century was commanded by a centurion, something like a modern sergeant. Cornelius was a Gentile of a Italian descent. He and his family were God-fearers, similar to the Ethiopian member and uh, the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8, verse 27. And then it says here in the commentary, Caesarea, which was about 30 miles north of Joppa on the coast, was the capital of Judea under the Roman procurators, end quote. So that just gives you a little insight about the background to this man named Cornelius. And then we're told it was about, remember, uh, the ninth hour, about 3 p.m., when God responds and he says, what is it, Lord? That's the Greek word kairos. And so Cornelius, he's praying here. And this was a traditional time, again, at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. We see that already throughout the book of Acts, for them to pray their afternoon prayers. And here he receives a vision. And it shakes Cornelius to the core. Now, this phrase here, I love this phrase, by the way, ascended as a memorial before God. So Cornelius's prayers and uh, giving that, you know, giving alms, we're told. Notice the, if you catch this, the usage that, that Luke uses here from this voice um, is a sacrificial terminology and sacrificial terminology. Uh, for example, in Psalm 141, verse 2, let my prayer be counted as incense before you and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Uh, this, is, this is amazing because what it shows us is that Cornelius has great insight in how he's giving and how he's praying. They're very sacrificial in context of, the, of Judaism. Now, another thing that's fascinating when you see up to this point where Peter's at in ministry, remember, there's a lot of things he's done that's reflective of what Jesus did in his public ministry. Well, remember the first recorded Gentile that Jesus ministered to in the Gospels in Matthew chapter 8, verse 11? You remember who it was? It was a centurion. And so one of the final things that, we're, that we see with Peter in ministry is reaching a centurion. And now he, this, man, this centurion, this, this man named Cornelius, he sends men to Joppa to go reach Simon, we're told in verse 6, that he'd be lodging, remember, we're told at the end of chapter 9, he was staying, staying with Simon the Tanner. So Cornelius, remember, wasn't given the specifics um, exactly why he was calling a man named Peter, but he, but he did it regardless because he was believing what he was praying and faith, and when this vision came to him, he needed to respond to it. And when the angel who, who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants 
And these were devout soldiers, we're told. And he told them to go get this man, Simon Peter. Now, after the angel departed from Cornelius, you know, he, he responds. And I, I love that because that's one of those things that we see throughout Scripture. Something happens, and then there's action. There's some contemplation. But notice a lot of times these people are prayerful. And, and my friends, before we go any further, may that just be a reminder that in your life, that you devote your life to prayer, Colossians 4, verse 2, Luke 18, verse 1, that we are not to live lives not praying, but our lives are to be lives of prayer. And even though Cornelius is not saved, God is still moving because Christ just came. Christ you know, died and rose again. And there's so many people who have yet to hear the, the gospel message as it's unfolding. And so God is speaking to his people and God's using his people. And then there's people who know a lot of his truth or devoting their lives to him, but they don't know about Jesus yet. And so Cornelius gets this vision. And so now in verses 9 through 23, guess what? Peter now receives a vision. That's where we pick things up here in verse nine. It says, the next day as they were uh, on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray and he became hungry and he wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again and, and a second time saying, what God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed, as to what the vision uh, that he had seen might mean. Behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made in inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and he said I am the one you are looking for what is the reason for you coming and they said Cornelius a centurion an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say so he invited them in to be his guests the next day he rose and went away with them and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him now there's a lot here where Peter receives this vision. But I want to go back to what I was saying earlier because notice the centurion is praying. Now, he doesn't know Jesus Christ like Peter does, but he's praying according to the Jewish, the Jewish prayers, right? The, the, the timetables when you're praying during the day, which is very customary. Well, midday, we're told, there was a set time again for prayer, for rest, also for relaxation, and so here we're told that pray, uh, Peter made it a habit to pray um, throughout the day, just like, remember, when you go to King David, he said that in Psalm 55, verse 17, remember Daniel in Daniel 6, verse 10. And so Peter himself is praying. You guys, this is what blew my mind again, as, as often as I've read this and just thinking about it again, Lord, we do need to call out to you and spend time to devote time. We get so busy, so distracted. We do little prayers and we move on or we're about to jump into something. And, and so we pray real quickly for God to bless it or whatever. And, and those are not all bad, but if that is our dependency on God, if that's the, 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 the grand scheme of our, of our prayer life, if you will, that's pretty pathetic if, if, if I'm being honest. But when you look at men like Peter and David and Daniel and how they're praying and notice that God uses those times to speak to them, you think, well, Jay, that was in the Bible. No, I believe that still happens today. When you're praying, God can speak to you. Let us not limit God. God is not defying his word when he speaks. We have his spoken word that's recorded, that's inspired. God can't contradict himself. So if God still audibly speaks today, it's not going to run contrary to what we have in God's word. 
And this notion I think a lot of American Christians have, these evangelicals, is that because we have the infallible Word of God, God no longer speaks. I believe God speaks in visions more than you and I even know. And one of the reasons why we may not embrace that is because it's never happened. And one of the main reasons it's never happened maybe in someone's life, maybe you, I don't know, but it's because you lack the faith, the faith in believing this. And so Peter's praying here. He's hungry. And the Bible says that he falls into this trance as he goes up on top of the roof. Now, the Greek word for this word trance is ecstatic psychological state, to be put out of one's normal state of mind. So it's, again, it's almost like he left his body and he saw the heavens open in something like a great sheet. So here Cornelius receives a vision from an angel, right, the same day. But Peter's divine experience comes directly from God himself. So that's also interesting too. I know when I was applying this phrase Kairos he's using of the Lord, he's understanding that God is, is at work here. But it was an angel that came to Cornelius. But when it comes to Peter, who's an apostle, it's God himself. And Peter's, you know, he, he's in his ordinary state at first as he's praying, waiting for his food to be prepared. And he's in his natural state of mind. But then all of a sudden, it's almost like he's in this heightened, elevated, or quite literally in some translations, to stand outside of yourself as God speaks to him. That is amazing. Now, I could honestly tell you guys, there have been times in my life where I felt like I've been taken up from my body um, in the spiritual realm, like with fighting. It's, it's, the, it, it, it's, it's quite honestly, it's, it's pretty shocking and weird all at the same time, but it's also powerful where I'm completely engaged in what God is doing and revealing sometimes wickedness, giving insight and fighting the battles and seeing glimpses sometimes of angels and demons and how they're roaming to and fro around the world and just seeing this constant, you know, epic battle that is taking place, raging between uh, God with his angels and Satan with his demons. And so in this case, as Peter's praying, it's like he left the physical state. He's in the spiritual realm and he receives this revelation. And of course, this revelation is there's a threefold division of the animal kingdom that he sees here depicted. Now remember, reptiles would defile all the rest of the animals, according to Leviticus 11, Deuteronomy 14. Yet, of course, when we're now entering in the new covenant with God, what he does is God puts an end to the dietary restrictions of the Jews. You go back to Mark 7, verse 19. So Peter, when he sees this, he says, by no means, Lord. So remember, in one sense, Ananias was saying to God, are you sure you really want me to go help this man? If you heard the kind of man he is, of course, God knows all things. If Ananias is aware of this stuff, don't you think God is? And so in this case, Peter's saying, partake of this, or he's seeing this vision, partake of this, Peter, and eat. And he says, surely not, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is, un that is common or unclean. That's the, the Greek word is koinos. So Peter had... He had only eaten up to this point sanctified. Hagios is the Greek word for food and objects to eating that were defiled or unclean animals. That was not something he did. He refused to heed the will of Jesus many times in Peter's life. And so this was something that Peter was probably, he was pretty customary for pushback. Remember Matthew 16? And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke Jesus saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and he said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. John 13, verse 8, Peter said to, to Jesus, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, if, you, if I do not wash your feet, you have uh, no share with me. So you need to let me do this, Peter. You don't fully understand. So once again, Jesus ascended years later. Peter is indwelt by the power of the Holy Spirit. God is using him to do great things, and yet he's struggling to partake of defiled food because he's never done that up to this point. He's only eaten sanctified. Now, what God has made clean, do not call common. So what was considered impure, according to Ezra 4, verse 14, is now made pure by Jesus, Matthew 15, verse 11, Mark chapter 7, 15 through 25, 1 Timothy 4. Three through five. So not only has God removed the dietary restrictions, but he he what he's doing also in this vision that he's showing Peter is he's breaking down the barriers between Jews and Gentiles. 
So this is interesting too, because sometimes we expect people to leap into action to do big things right away. But what God is showing Peter is small things in dietary means. And so he's saying is, if you can start eating something that was once common and unclean to now be clean, when I start telling you to go reach Cornelius, who in your opinion, your people believe is defiled and unclean, you need to do it. So if you obey me in these small things when it comes to food, but again, as a Jew, that was a huge thing. But he had to work through that in order for him to then take the gospel to a Gentile home. I love this phrase, what God has made clean. So remember, Zechariah foresaw a future time when God would cleanse Israel and make her pure. We are told in Zechariah, on that day, there shall be a fountain opened for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and uncleanliness. And this is happening through Peter. So this happened, we're told in verse 16, three different times, and then finally it was taken up to heaven. So it's ironic that Peter denied, remember, Jesus three times. He was restored three times. And now as he's giving pushback, as we read before, that G- that Peter did many times to Jesus, and he's still doing it to, to this day, um, that he gives a little pushback to this command of God, and it took three times for him in order for him to eat defiled animals. So that's pretty interesting. But while Peter was inwardly perplexed, so he's contemplating all the stuff, the men come. And and Peter, as he's pondering the vision, we're told in verse 19, the spirit said, and behold, these three men are looking for you, rise and go. So Peter was, he was taken back, as you can imagine, uh, by this vision that he didn't even hear the three men that were shouting for him. So he was just completely oblivious. Uh, to what was going on because he was really contemplating inwardly, we're told. So this is deep meditation. Now the phrase here, the spirit. So the Holy Spirit, remember, uh, which is fascinating in the the whole book of Acts is about the the acts of the Holy Spirit. So here we see the Holy Spirit speaking directly to Peter and prompting him to get his act together and go with these men. The activity of the Holy Spirit is so powerful in the life of Peter, that he goes in obedience because of the Holy Spirit. He receives this vision as he's praying in the Spirit. And he's going to go preach the gospel to Cornelius in the power of the Holy Spirit because this was a fulfillment of Joel chapter 2, verse 28. And that's important, my friends, because when we go back to Acts chapter 2, verse 17, you go to Acts chapter 13, verse 2, and you go to Acts chapter 16, verse 6, we have to know when Jesus says, I must go in order for the helper to come. And here's the helper. And they're doing incredible things. We just saw a fulfillment of Zechariah 13. We now see a fulfillment of Joel chapter 2, verse 28, how the Holy Spirit is moving upon Peter to go and to preach the gospel. They told him in verse 22 that, the, that Cornelius, he's a centurion. He's an upright, Dacaios. He's a God-fearing man. And so they invite, he invited them in. So remember, by inviting these Gentile men that were sent by Cornelius into his home, remember, Peter was already hanging out with Simon the Tanner who, was, who had dead carcasses. So he's already defiled by that. Now he's inviting Gentiles in. So Peter was violating strict Jewish customs, but he just had that vision and he's now trusting God, literally and spiritually trusting God of what God was going to do through the gospel. Remember, it was also customary to offer a meal to your guests. However, this kind of hospitality was not extended to Gentiles. So it wasn't just inviting the home, but it was giving them a meal. Now, this phrase, brothers from Joppa accompanied him. Peter brings these other companions. We're not told who they are, these other witnesses, but they go with him. So that leads us now to Acts chapter 2 here. Let me just get it up here. Verses 24 through 33. Where it says, and on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshiped him. But Peter lifted him up saying, stand up. I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone or any uh, or another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then, why did you send for me? 
And Cornelius said, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house. At the ninth hour, behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So it was common for Gentiles to lay prostrate before authorities and deities in order to receive a favor. So remember, Cornelius, he is a God-fearing man, but he lacks the gospel, the power of the Holy Spirit, the teachings of Jesus. We don't know how much he may have been aware of, but remember, this is now reaching a whole new population of people that at this point, Peter hadn't. And so this Gentile was just doing what he felt was appropriate to someone like Peter. But Peter responds honorably by refusing to be honored as a superior to Cornelius and his family. The Zondervan Bible commentary writes, quote, the verb for reverence here in verse, 5, verse 25 is proskuneo which can mean a man's reverence for a superior in the sight of a Roman centurion at the feet of a Galilean fisherman was remarkable evidence of the revolutionary changes wrought within the sphere of the kingdom, end quote. So even though Peter, as a Jew, they have a sacred, if you will, religion, and there was a lot of qualifications for that. And here you had Cornelius who was a God-fearing man, but he could not be an official proselyte because he was not circumcised. He couldn't be circumcised. And there were certain things in the law he couldn't do um, as a Gentile. But the opposite's true for the Gentile looking at a poor, uneducated Galilean fisherman. He's a superior. He represents Rome. He's defending a powerful person in that region. And yet he's the one that's bowing before Peter. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered in verse 27. So he says, you yourselves know how unlawful, meaning he's literally saying, I am breaking a a, a taboo. What, What I'm doing is not right for people like me to do. Now, there were many violent um, altercations between the Jews, between Syrians and Caesarea, because we know there was such a huge ethnic divide among them. So we also have to factor in there was a lot of uncomfortableness, if you will, that was taking place here in Cornelius' home with these other persons, his other family members, staff, and possibly like with these certain loyal, devout soldiers who went and re- recovered Peter for Cornelius. Now, the Mishnah states the dwelling places of Gentiles are unclean. So there, this was deep. We talk about racism today. Guys, this was, this was far more intense. Uh, because of the separations in classes, in language, education, where you grew up, being a Jew, being a Gentile, Rome was in power. But God has shown me, see, this is amazing. Despite the altercations, the division, the ethnic, uh, ethnic cleansing, if you will, that would take place, writings like we have in the Mishnah, that dwelling with Gentiles is they're unclean people and you will defy yourself and you'll break the law. Peter realizes from God that the barriers between Jews and Gentiles had been stripped away. And Paul does a beautiful job in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22, to show how God has done that work. Now, the Spirit of God used, remember Stephen, to refer back to uh, many of the instances, remember when he's saying God is not just limited to the synagogues, not just to the temple, but God had moved upon the Gentiles in Mesopotamia. If you go back to Abram, what was Abram? Abram came from a polytheistic background. God moved him out. God was in Haran. God was in Egypt. God was in Sinai. And now Peter is among Gentiles to extend to them the gospel of Jesus Christ. So as Peter worked out the vision in his own mind, He wanted to understand now, as he's before Cornelius, what God had been doing in in the life of Cornelius. And I love this because what this demonstrates is that Peter wants to know what God has been communicating um, to Cornelius. And I think when I I look at this, how often do we pause? Because a lot of times, you know, we, 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 we think we have all the answers. And yet we pause and think, hey, but what is God saying to you? What's going on in your life? Does, does God have a word 
for me through you? Is that how God wants to communicate something and make something clear? And I think, my friends, as, we, as we're sensitive to that, I, I really strongly believe, as we see here in the text, that you'll hear from God. So, of course, from verses 30 all the way to verses 33, Cornelius, again, gives a description of how the angel is so fitting, you know, to, you know, as we've seen throughout the Old Testament, right, when angels appear and give revelation. So, as Cornelius has given this report, this probably isn't mind-boggling to Peter what Peter has dealt with and what Peter has experienced, even the vision he just got a few days ago. But these encounters were very common also. We see them in the Gospels in Matthew 28 and Mark 16 and John chapter 20, verse 12, of angels appearing and God using angels. So it's, it's very likely, and of course Peter's not denying this, that all this has occurred. And this phrase here, to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So he's saying, okay, I know God has spoken to you as he's spoken to me. What has he commanded you? And this is what's being conveyed, excuse me, to Cornelius is conveying to Peter. So we, because we know that God gave Peter a captive audience. And I've been in those times, my friends, when God has given me a captive audience and you come with fear and trembling to preach the gospel, to love them as Christ loves his people and to prepare the way for them and to warn them of false teachers and wolves in sheep's clothing. And they're a captive audience and you speak the truth. That's where Peter was at here. And every time I look at this, one of the prayers I always pray is, Lord, give me an audience. Give me an audience that is captive. And I pray that that is the audience right now, even as you and I are, are going through the book of Acts right now, that you're a captive audience, that you and I are submitting our lives to the Lord to hear. Now, many of us are believers listening and watching this podcast. But you think about some of the people that are tuning in that have never given their lives to Jesus Christ. And you're about to hear from verses 34 through 43, Peter proclaiming the good news and sharing the peace that comes only through Jesus Christ. So now notice here in verse 34, so Peter opened his mouth and he said, truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him, and we are all witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses who ate and drank with him. After he rose from the dead and he commanded us to preach the pe to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So this phrase here, when Peter opened his mouth, 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 and in verse 34, it literally just means introducing a weighty speech. So the way he's presenting, and you can imagine Luke being there, possibly, who knows, you know, I mean, with, with where these people are at. But later, I do believe that Paul was getting these accounts from Peter and conveying them later as, as Luke was compiling all these stories. But the, the intensity of these witnesses to see Peter opening his mouth, it's likened to that on the day of Pentecost when you go back to Acts chapter 2. And he says, I, I now understand that God shows no partiality. That literally means to receive the face. This is powerful because what he's saying is that God has revealed his truth like Moses saw the Lord face to face that what I'm saying that God shows no partiality, that is receiving the face. That is, that is absolute truth is what he's saying. Now, Peter here is preaching what we refer often in these, these uh, messages as the kerygma of the apostles in verses 34 through 43. 
and he's giving this powerful sermon, and he's teaching them that that Jewish teaching, um, they've always believed that God uh, showed no impartiality, but, you know, the Jews never really applied it to anyone but themselves, according to Deuteronomy 10, verse 17. Yet what Peter's now saying here, as a bona fide follower of Jesus Christ and dwelt by the power of the Holy Spirit, equality for all mankind will be a dramatic theme to come in the early church. And we see that in the New Testament, in Romans chapter 2, verse 11, Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, James chapter 2, verse 1. And this, and by the way, when you and I are dealing with racism, these are a lot of the verses that I share with people that foundationally, as a Christian, we do not tolerate any racism. Why? Because Acts 10, 31 and Romans 2, verse 11, and Galatians 3, verse 28, and James chapter 2, verse 11, God shows no partiality. Excuse me, James 2, verse 1. God does not show partiality. And as such as his followers, we are not to be impartial, meaning to a select per, uh, people group. We're not to feel superior over someone else. Now, remember, when you look at this message, this charisma from Peter, the gospel went to the Jews first, yes, but that doesn't make them better. And it's going to be through the Jews that they actually start reaching the people outside of themselves, the Gentiles. We're told that in Romans 1, 16 and 17. And what Peter does is he says, this is about the good news. This is about peace. This is, again, we saw a prophetic word that came from Zechariah. We saw a prophetic word that came from other prophets like Joel in chapter 2. And now Isaiah, when he said in verse 57, or excuse me, chapter 57, verse 19, peace, peace to those far and near. So this conveys reconciliation with God. That's what he's saying. And when he says that he's Lord of all, he's saying this to a paganistic region. Remember all those deities that already at some point Cornelius has abandoned Mithras and these other Roman deities to worship the one true God that shows no partiality. And it's a, through a Jewish poor peasant, if you will. You know, Peter wasn't rolling in dough. He said, silver and gold I don't have. And yet he's coming into this Italian home, this centurion, this wealthy man with power. And he's saying, Christ is God. Christ is Lord of all. That's a pagan title that the early church rebaptized for Christ. He's Lord of all. You may have all these little deities running around. God is the only true and living God. And he says, you yourselves know the word or the saying what happened throughout all Judea, beginning with it, Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed. So Peter's sermon, which is interesting when you look at it, check this out. It marks the outline to the Marcan account that is the gospel of Mark about the life of Jesus. Remember, that was the first gospel that was written. Notice Peter, he lays out John's baptism. Now remember, pause. Where did John Mark get his account from? Peter. And I believe this is the makings of Peter's uh, gospel story because in the first thing he talks about as we look in the, in the Marcan account is John's baptism. Number two, Jesus' baptism by, by John. Three, the healings and exorcism in Galilee. Four, ministering throughout Judea and into Jerusalem. Five, Jesus is arrested and crucified. Six, Jesus rises from the dead on the third day and seven, there are many post-mortem appearances of Jesus. Eight, Jesus gives the Great Commission. And nine, Jesus will return as judge. That is the, the outline to the Gospel of Mark. And here, Peter is preaching it in the home of Cornelius. And we see in verses 38 and following that John baptized Jesus from the very beginning and that ushered in his Galilean ministry. And from the outset in Luke chapter 4, 18 through 21, we see the quotation that Jesus shared in the synagogue at, when he started his Galilean ministry that was fulfilling the prophecy in Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 to 2a. And it was declaring, that is Jesus, was declaring the fulfillment by saying, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness prisoners. That is what Jesus did. And that is what Peter is conveying to Cornelius and his household. And he says in verse 39, we are witnesses 
of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and also in Jerusalem. God raised him from the dead, verse 40, on the third day. And verse 41, not all the people, but to us who, who are chosen by his witnesses, meaning he ate and drank among us. So Peter, he gives, again, a, an eyewitness account of the events leading up to the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. He also later on just talks about this in greater detail in Second Peter chapter 1, verses 16 through 21. And he says that God raised him from the dead. So Peter's pointing out that God acted in the world. He did it by sending his son and he did it by raising him from the dead. And then not only was it a spiritual resurrection, but a physical one because he came back in his resurrected body and he ate and he drank with us. So Jesus gave his disciples tangible evidence and Peter's conveying this to Cornelius and them. We have tangible evidence that he rose bodily from the grave. And he gave the reports of that in Luke 24, 42 through 43, John 21, 12 through 15, and 1 Corinthians 15, 5 through 8. And he says, and he commanded us to preach, curiso, to the people and to testify. That means in Greek, a witness in court with presumed knowledge that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. So before ascending to heaven, we know that Jesus, what did he do? He, he gave all authority. This has been given to me, I give to you guys to make disciples, to preach the gospel to the whole world. We saw that in, in Matthew 28, 19 through 20. And we are also told that Jesus, who remember, who's Lord of all, is the judge of the living and the dead. So Jesus is not only the great redeemer, but the coming judge who will bring order and justice to the world someday. We're told in Daniel chapter 7, verse 14, he was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every Language worshipped him. And that's what Peter's conveying. And then we're told here in verses 44 through 48, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. So when the Holy Spirit fell on these people, um, when they heard the word, when they were listening to the word, and this is important, my friends, because, again, a lot of times Luke is pulling from the Old Testament. Throughout the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit fell on or came upon people to empower them. You see this in Numbers chapter 11, verse 17, and also in verse 25, Judges 6, verse 34. So the Holy Spirit fell, and it wasn't, remember, this is important. It wasn't Peter who determined whether or not Cornelius and his family was worthy to receive the gospel. Peter obeyed God. And he says, I've come to realize that God shows no partiality. And let me give you the account of what I know. This is what I know to be true. But it's the Holy Spirit who moved on the hearts of Peter, Peter's companions, Cornelius and his family, to not only receive Peter's message, but to ultimately receive the truth of God. And so we're told here in verse 45, and the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed, they were, meaning literally they were beside themselves. A sight the Jews had never witnessed until this moment. Imagine that. To see the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We always think of the day of Pentecost. Those are for Jews on the day of Pentecost. After first fruits. But the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the Gentiles was a sign of God's love. Not just for the Jews. Not just for his chosen people. But for all mankind. So me as a Gentile. And you, if you're a Gentile, if you're not a Jew, that a new covenant is extended, not only to the Jews, but to the rest of the world. Praise the Lord. And it came through the Jewish people. And he says, can anyone water, can, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people? So it's not clear now, um, you know, exactly the languages or utterances the Gentiles spoke um, through their words as they, as, as they honored the Lord before they were baptized. But baptism, remember, was a ritual only for the Jews. And yet here, as Peter already invited Gentiles into 
his residents and fed them, and now is going to a home to a Gentile, he's now offering baptism to the uncircumcised Gentiles. Now, this was a powerful demonstration of breaking down the walls of inequality. The gospel had spread from the Jews, now to the Samaritans, and now it's reaching Gentiles. And this phrase, who have received the Holy Spirit, that is confirmation of their salvation. Cornelius and his family were not saved by the baptism, but were baptized because they received in faith Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And as a result, they were indwelt by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that we have clear teaching in Scripture, my friends. And Titus chapter 3, verse 5, recalls, it refers to it as the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13, baptized in the Spirit. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, that until the day of redemption, we've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. So as we close out, my friends, in this, this uh, discussion, and we see that they're commanded to be baptized in the name of Jesus, and Peter and his companions stay there for a few days, this was a, this was a Gentile Pentecost. Peter went in obedience, and Peter did not come with discrimination. Could you imagine, my friends, when you and I, number one, let's pray. As we conclude this podcast, and I encourage you guys to do this, God, I pray for obedience in my life. And I pray, God, that I will see a revival take place because I am not showing discrimination because I am praying and I'm waiting upon you to act. And Lord, I pray that you'd use me in a powerful way. My friends, I pray that is true in your life as it is my life. You wake up every day, get on your knees, seek the Lord. So I pray as we looked at Acts chapter 10, if there's any discrimination that you've been showing, any prejudicial uh, uh, you know, remarks or stereotypical uh, you know, you know, attitude or some type of dissension that you have for not just a person's color of skin, but maybe an ethnic group or maybe a particular religion or even showing hatred to somebody in your office, whatever it is. I pray, like Peter, that when you speak to God, talk to God as you look at his word, that you be broken and that you would be obedient and that you would go reach the people that you least expect that you would ever reach. And I know when you allow God to use you, my friends, God will use you. Thank you, my friends, for watching. I love you guys. And until next time, keep standing strong, my friends. For more information on Jason Jimenez and Stand Strong Ministries, visit us at standstrongministries.org. Thank you for listening, and keep standing strong in the Word of God.